Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 125. I'm your host, Bill Holdridge, on a Poyman Ministries assignment here in Northwest Oregon. Anyway, I wasn't expecting to do a podcast recording while on this trip, but was impressed by the Holy Spirit to do one, even though it's going to be solo. I don't even have my usual recording gear with me, so thanks ahead of time for any difference in the audio from normal episodes. So what I want to talk about is the importance of meditating upon and following our calling. And I'm talking about our calling as pastors. It's really important to think about the fact that we were called and think about how we were called and then follow that which we were called to. That's really, really important. And in uh, ministry over many years, and especially since Poyman Ministry was started back in 2007, there have been so many conversations, I can't even tell you how many conversations that have gone back to this basic and foundational concept of our calling. We have this very strong tendency to forget what we were called to and forget how we were called. And the result of that is that we get ourselves into tangents, we get ourselves into um, trouble, we get out of our lane, and we're not the most effective that we could be because we're doing something that the Lord didn't primarily wire us for or call us to. So that's why we're talking about this, and this is probably going to end up being two podcast episodes, but this one is called The Importance of Meditating Upon and Following Our Calling, and just to be safe, we'll call it part one. So the passage I want to open with is 1 Timothy 1.18. 1 Timothy 1.18, this is what Paul writes to Timothy, his young, younger disciple and his his son in the faith, who is now a pastor himself, he writes, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. I'll read it again. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So Paul had already in this book given Timothy a charge, and in the rest of the epistle he will continue giving him a charge because Paul wanted Timothy to know how he ought to conduct himself in the house of God, how he ought to handle the affairs of the church. Being in Ephesus as Timothy was, he was the bishop, the overseer, of a number of other overseers who were pastoring smaller house-type churches. So how do you do that? How do you organize the church? How do you decide what's important, what isn't important? How do you handle certain situations? How do you handle yourself? So that's why Paul wrote 1 Timothy, um, and he tells Timothy that purpose in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So he gave Timothy a charge. This is what the ministry is. This is how you conduct yourself in the, in the house of God. This is what's important to deal with. These are issues that need to be addressed. These are concepts that need to be talked about. 
this is who you are, and this is how you decide about who leaders are that work with you. This is the best way to be fruitful and to be an example to the believers and save not only yourself, but also those that hear you. All of that information is in First Timothy. It's a tremendous book, as, as we all know. But Paul said, I wrote this charge to you according to the prophecies that were previously made concerning you. That by them, that is by those prophecies made concerning you, you may wage the good warfare. So the charge that Paul gave to Timothy was powerful, and the charge was very clear. But the power and the focus and the direction of following through on that charge had to do with Timothy's calling. There had been prophecies about Timothy. There had been words from the Lord that he had internalized in his heart. There had been things that happened in ministry and in his development as a young minister that confirmed to him that he was called to be in this particular role, serving with Paul the Apostle and learning from him as his, his mentor. There were things that, that happened. They were uh, Paul calls them prophecies. They were utterances from the Lord to do what 1 Corinthians 14.3 says that prophecies do. One who prophesies speaks to men for their edification, their exhortation, and for their comfort. So these prophecies, these words from the Lord spoke to Timothy, were internalized by Timothy, and Paul is telling Timothy, these are the prophecies that you must cling to. These are essential to your ability to recall your calling and to meditate upon your calling and to operate in the authority of Jesus as you carry out your calling these prophecies, the words that God gave you as he called you, they are that which you will use to wage the good warfare, because it is a warfare, as you know, pastoring and being a pastor teacher. It's a wonderful calling. I would never want any other calling, but it is a it is a battle. It is not easy, as you know. And uh, many of you who are listening to this podcast know and understand that being the, the lead pastor or the senior pastor of a church is even more difficult than the biblical model of what a pastor teacher is. Uh, because we're thrown into not only the biblical model of what a pastor teacher is, but we also have the cultural expectations uh, upon us of what a pastor teacher is. And we have to fight through the cultural expectations to cling to the biblical directives in order to be successful in ministry. All of that has to do with our calling. The ability to do that has to do with our calling. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So that's what we're talking about in this episode of Strength for Today's Pastor. So I wanna go on a little further and give the background, uh, the, pre the preceding verses to that passage that I've just read several times, and just comment on it, because I think it has to do with, with the, the main topic of this podcast. Paul uh, talked about these things in verse 15. He said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 
This is amazing to me, written late in Paul's ministry, 1 Timothy, a book uh, that he had written to uh, encourage and admonish and, and shape the ministry of his younger protege, Timothy, written late in Paul's ministry, Paul reflects back on his ministry life and on his life as a Christian. And this is the conclusion he came to about himself. He said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He considered himself the chief of sinners. And, of course, we've all probably taught this before, that uh, earlier in his ministry, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, he referred to himself as the least of the apostles, one who was not worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. And then... At the end of his ministry here, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners. He realized he was no better than anyone. As far as um, his propensity, his capacity to sin, Paul was no better than anyone else. He had tremendous character, no question. He was a man of great depth, no question about that. He was a man of incredible sacrifice, no question about that. He was a man with obviously impeccable theology, no question about that. But in the inner part of Paul, he was very aware of the fact that he was no better than anyone else. He knew, and this is what he said in Romans 7, he knew that in himself, that, in, that is, in his flesh, there was nothing good. He knew that in himself, in his flesh, nothing was good. And we who have pastored for years and we who serve the Lord, if we're open to the Holy Spirit and open to the reality of what our flesh is like, we come to the same conclusion. We know that in ourselves, in our flesh, nothing is good. No good thing can be found there in the flesh. The flesh is incorrigible. The flesh is not teachable. The flesh cannot learn anything. Our flesh cannot improve. The things that we do that we don't want to do, it's sin within us, which is the flesh. And the things that we want to do that we don't end up doing and following through on, it's because of sin within us, which is the flesh. We know these things about ourselves, and Paul knew those things about himself. But even though he knew himself to be the chiefest of sinners, He also knew who he was in Christ. So he did not allow what he was in the flesh to determine who he was in Christ, his identity in the Son of God and the presence of Christ in his life dwelling within him. That was his strength. That was his core. He knew who he was in Christ. Therefore, he was able to write the book of Ephesians which flowed from the Spirit through him onto the papyri, but he also had experienced these things. He knew that the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ are primary. From those spiritual blessings, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, we move on to the walk that we have in Christ, walking in the light, walking in unity with other believers, walking in love, walking in the Spirit, etc., He knew that the walk of the believer flowed from the identity of the believer, and he also knew what our opposition is 
in terms of what comes against us to keep us from understanding and walking in our identity in Christ and following through on our walk with him uh, as a believer. Well, it's spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we put on the whole armor of God that we can stand against the schemes of the devil who is always trying to move us off of our position and move us away from our walk in Christ. Well, he knew all these things, of course. And this was essential to his ministry to have this self-concept. This is what I'm not, but this is who I am in Christ. Nothing in me is good, but Christ in me is awesome. And I in Christ puts me in the heavenly places with him. And of course, that's important for us as pastors to realize that. We walk into a room of pastors at a pastor's conference, for example, and I may be pastoring what I personally now call normal-sized churches, maybe a church of 70, 80 people. My position is in Christ. My position and my worth to Jesus is not dependent upon how many butts there are in the pews, how big the budget is, and how ornate the building is. That has nothing to do with who I am. I am a believer in Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places, I have all of the riches of the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenlies. That's who I really am. As Josh McDowell once said, the only true thing about you is what God says about you in Christ. That's, a, that's an important statement. So I could be sitting at a lunch table at that conference with the pastor of a church that has 10,000 congregants. <laughs> He's no better than me. I'm no better than he. Uh, we are brothers we both have the same position in Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The only difference is that the Lord has decided to expand his uh, territory and his boundaries and borders of ministry life in a different way, in a, in a more expansive way than, than mine. But that doesn't mean that anything I am or anything I do is any less important. It's just as important. Uh, to Jesus. And my faithfulness to that calling is going to mean everything in terms of what happens when I am called before the Bema seat of Christ. I'm going to be judged according to how I lived as a Christian in this body and how I fulfilled faithfully whether or not I was obedient to his calling. That's the criteria. And that's the only thing I can be measured by, and that's the only thing I care to be measured by. So he knew who, who he was in Christ. He goes on in the passage and he says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now this is, uh, of course, an incredible statement. Paul realized that he had obtained mercy from God so that he could be a major model of the patience of Christ toward human beings. In other words, look what the Lord put up with and look what the Lord endured to bring Paul the Apostle into the kingdom of God. All of that ranting and raving against Jesus, all of that kicking against the goads that Jesus talked about when he, when he called Paul and he met Paul on the road to Damascus. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Uh, Jesus had said to him, it's hard for you to try to kick out of this yoke that I'm trying to put upon you. It's hard for you to resist my call upon your life. And it's hard for you to continue to do what you're doing and blaspheming me and 
in slandering me and and arresting my followers and so on. That's really hard for you. It's hard for you to resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your life. It's hard for you, Paul. And the Lord Jesus put up with Paul so amazingly, so extensively. And about this time, I'm, I'm sure you're thinking what I'm thinking. And that is that, boy, he sure put up with me and he still does put up with me. And I'm so grateful for the long suffering of Christ because that means my life is a pattern not of great success in terms of I never do anything wrong or, you know, I grew up with a clean slate all the way through, but I'm a pattern for everyone else who is going to believe on Jesus for everlasting life. They look at, we look at Paul, we see how Jesus was patient and long-suffering toward him and drawing him into the kingdom, and we say, there's hope for me. People can look at our lives as pastors Not that we're living unethical lives, not that we're living in immoral lives, God forbid. Not that we're living lives in in character that are low in character, not at all. We strive for these things to be separate. But we know we're not perfect, and we know that we're we're gonna unfortunately offend some people, and we're gonna make some uh, mistakes, and we're gonna commit some sins that hurt others and so on. But when we do, we confess. When we do, we apologize. When we do, we try to put it right. That's what we do. And this is a pattern for others. This encourages them to uh, walk with the Lord themselves. If, if there's mercy toward pastor so-and-so, there's mercy towards me. And Paul thought about these things in reference to calling in this particular passage. And he was amazed. He said, now to the king, eternal immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, all he could do was worship with this this doxology of praise toward the Lord because only the Lord could do this. Only the Lord could be long-suffering toward a human being, and that long-suffering toward a human being leading him to Christ is an example for others to follow to realize there's hope for me. But that's exactly what the Lord did with Paul, and that's exactly what the Lord does does with you and me. So we're back to our main passage here, and the subject of this podcast is the importance of meditating upon and following our calling. But there's a lot involved in our calling, as as we all know, because not only are we pastor-teachers, that's our office, but we're believers, we're followers, we're followers of Christ. And so we have the same responsibilities to live in him and to have him live in us as everybody else does. We're no different. In fact, before we can actually uh, pull the, the speck out of our brother's eye, we have to make sure that we've pulled the beam out of our own so we can see clearly enough to be able to pull that speck and identify that speck uh, that is in our brother's eye. So, again, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Okay, so at this time, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back talking about the importance of meditating upon and following our calling. Be back soon. You've been listening to Strength for Today's Pastor. Appointment Ministries appreciates your participation and prayers. If you'd like to help financially support this podcast, you can go to our website at appointmentministries.com forward slash donate. Thank you. 
Okay, so we're back and I want to continue on this theme of the importance of meditating upon and following our calling. And as a pastor teacher, my calling is as a pastor teacher. And as was true with Timothy, there were ingredients that were involved in that calling. Words from the Lord to us, confirmations from scriptures, uh, reactions of others, response to the ministry that God has given us fruit in the ministry that God has given us, evidence that indeed we are called to be this, to do this, and then a a strong inner realization that this is the office that the Lord has called us to do. So that's where we're at. So Paul tells Timothy to wage the good warfare according to the prophecies that had been previously made concerning him. So I want to talk a little bit about my own calling, briefly my own testimony, and then hopefully We can all work on this and think about this in anticipation of part two of this podcast uh, topic. So when I was called, it was back in 1973, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit on a Sunday. And that Friday night, I had a dream. That next Friday night, just, you know, five days later, I had a dream. And in that dream, which I can still remember with great clarity, I was called. The dream was very much like the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. It had those same basic ingredients. And the question was asked in the dream, who will go for us and whom shall I send? And in the room where I was, there were all kinds of angels that were wearing black suits. They were all tall and slim and uh, in, uh, muscular and well, well-developed athletically. Uh, they all just looked very qualified. And the speaker behind the speaker's podium said, who will go for us and whom shall I send? And not one of them that were in that room, not one of them in the, in the, the black business suits, not one of them responded. They were all quiet. They were waiting. Not that they were unwilling. They were angels. They were servants of, of the Lord. But They were waiting because there was someone else that needed to respond to this calling. There was another human being in the in the dream, and it was the the fella, uh, the friend of mine. His name was Stan, that prayed with me when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit just five days earlier. He was in the dream as well. So the question, "Who will go for us, and whom shall I send?" and of course I felt no no worthiness whatsoever to raise my hand and volunteer. I thought, surely one of these distinguished men will volunteer. I looked around, and no one did. They were waiting. They were waiting for a human being to say yes to this invitation. Then I looked over to Stand, my friend, to see what he would do. I thought for sure he would raise his hand. After all, he'd been a Christian for five whole months by that time. No response from Stan. And so realizing that I was the only one left in the room that had not responded, and there were hundreds of, of people in the room, hundreds of individuals, I raised my hand. Who will go for us and whom shall I send? And I raised my hand and I said, here I am, send me. Now I had never read Isaiah chapter 6 before. I was completely unfamiliar with that passage. It was only later that I realized its importance. And so the speaker behind the rostrum said, good, Bill, I've been waiting for your response. So he took me outside and, and, and took me by my right 
arm in his left arm, and we began to fly. Uh, it was nighttime. We began to fly towards the heavens. And as we did, the heavens opened. And as the heavens opened, I could see clearly that there was a throne, and there was someone standing in front of the throne that was awesome in appearance, and he had white hair and white robes and all of those things. And I realized I was approaching the throne of God, and that was God himself uh, in front of the throne in some form. And we got closer and closer and closer, and then the dream ended. Now, that was obviously very powerful, but it was only confirmed to me in terms of what it actually meant when I began to read the Bible. So I read uh, Isaiah 6. Um, Pastor Chuck was talking about that passage in a Sunday morning message that I'll never forget. Blew my mind. As I read Daniel chapter 10, I read Revelation chapter 1. Um, I realized that the ingredients in that dream were essential elements of my calling. For example, seeing the Lord that's in Isaiah 6. Um, sensing my deep unworthiness. That, that was in my dream and that was in, in Isaiah 6 as well. Needing to be cleansed. With a with a burning coal from the the altar, that's what Isaiah needed. Well, I needed to be not only cleansed, but I needed to understand the righteousness that was in Christ that I had that was given to me as a gift. That I was clean before the Lord and blameless and irreproachable in His sight. And then there was the calling itself: Who will go for us, and who shall I send? My willingness to be open to whatever the Lord wanted to do. I needed to be in that place and be flexible and pliable. At first I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere. Please don't send me to Africa and don't send me back into the commune that I, that I was in earlier in my Christian life. But <laughs> it was funny because, um, well, it's just a, a major point of irony that I was able to be involved again with many of the key players in that commune. And I also have been to Africa <laughs> on a number of occasions because the Lord gives us the willingness, of course, to do what he asks us to do, and we do it with great joy. So there were so many things. And then in the, the course of the ministry, I realized that um, the ministry uh, of pastoring a church in a community is very difficult and can be very discouraging. And there were many times when I, when I felt like folding up shop and, and getting out of Dodge and turning it over to somebody else that was qualified and could actually take the church where it was supposed to go. And I had those attitudes and those feelings um, but the Lord didn't allow me to do that. He always encouraged me or did something in my life to change my mind. But I realized in reading the rest of Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah wanted to know how long his ministry was going to last because the Lord had given him the ministry of preaching to people who didn't want to hear it to preaching to people who couldn't understand it and couldn't see the truth of it. They had hardened hearts. And so Isaiah said, how long will this ministry last? And the Lord answered him and said, it's going to last until everything is destroyed. In other words, Isaiah is not necessarily going to see fruit from his on-the-earth, boots-on-the-ground ministry. But what will happen is that the Lord will accomplish his purposes. And so the Lord showed me through that is it's not my responsibility to produce the fruit. And the results here in this particular church and through this particular church are not mine to produce. Those are his. 
My role is to do what Isaiah did, and that is to be faithful, to be faithful to my calling, to reach the people, to be involved in the Great Commission, and to faithfully discharge my duties as a pastor-teacher who equips the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Keep my vision biblical, keep my focus Christward, keep my focus Christ in me. He's the one that bears the fruit in me through the work of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that I needed to do. And certainly Isaiah did that, and we regard him as one of the greatest of all of the prophets. And it wasn't his boots-on-the-ground ministry that had the greatest effect long-term. It was the, the book of Isaiah that has had the greatest effect long-term, obviously. But he didn't know that at the time. So any discouragement was eclipsed by the need just to be faithful. And thank God he was faithful. So these are all elements of the calling that the Lord had given to me and the initial stages of the calling. And by this time, we're starting to see in this podcast episode, part one, the importance of meditating on and following our calling. It's a very big deal. Calling is a very important thing. And when I ask a pastor, tell me how you were called in the ministry, uh, he may give me a pretty slim, real thin kind of an answer with not much detail, but I'll keep pressing. I'll keep asking questions. I want to hear the story. And the more he tells the story, more I'm realizing in many cases that he hasn't thought about this very much. And it's now coming back to him as he's telling me the story of his calling into ministry. He's realizing something that in some ways he'd forgotten. And he gets energized by the retelling of the story of his calling. He gets strengthened by it. He gets new resolve. Biblical vision springs forth in his heart as a result of it. And he's a new man. He started the conversation one, one way, and he ended the conversation another way. Why and how? Because in confessing and testifying to the way he was called, with some detail because of my questioning, he was able then to be encouraged, strengthened, reminded, and charged, just like Paul charged Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, uh, he was charged to fulfill the work of the ministry and the calling that the Lord had called him with. So that's about all we're going to do for, for this particular episode. We'll, we'll take it up next time from there and continue on in the importance of calling and what that looks like in our lives. And, and again, the, the subject, the importance of meditating upon and following our calling. I hope you're encouraged, brothers, because this is vital that we stay in our lane and and be what the Lord has made us to be. In Jesus' name, thanks for listening. God bless you. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Pointman Ministries. You can find us at pointmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve Him, His pastors, and His church.